Hello, everybody. This is Ian Moore, and you're listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andras Jones. Welcome to the Radio 8 Ball. Give us a shake. We're here in the studio, tempting faith. Wherever you are, putting questions to the songs, which we will randomly select. With the help of our friend, Synchronicity. Radio it all give us a shake. Now's the time. Welcome to the Radio 8 Ball Show. I'm your host, Andras Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. This is Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening. Where we are engaging the pop oracle using the Radio 8 Ball app, which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8 Ball, as well as a couple of hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8 Ball app. If you are an iPhone user, it's free and it allows you to play, host, and conduct your own musical divinations, just as we do here on the show. The app also plays the latest podcast and selects the randomly chosen pop oracle song of the day. On last week's episode of Radio 8 Ball, Brian Connolly asked, Can a question be answered by a song with no lyrics? And received as his randomly chosen answer from the pop oracle, Caroline from Ian Moore, recorded live on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM in Seattle, Washington, on February 6th, 2009. One by one they fell, clinging to their names. Technology overflowing, flowing from their brains Till nobody knew the words, nobody knew to sing And nobody had the time to talk about it anyway There are some serious Beach Boys vibes to this week's session with Ian Moore I never thought of Steve McQueen in relation to the Beach Boys before, but thanks to some work I've been doing in preparation and response to The World is Wrong's upcoming episode on Steve McQueen's last film, The Hunter, from 1980, I found myself digging into his filmography, and in this digging came across a film from 1965 called Baby the Rain Must Fall, in which McQueen plays a rockabilly musician just released from prison with some terrible psychological demons and a young Lee Remick and adorable daughter who just came into town looking for him. His name in the film is Henry Thomas. If you'll remember, in last week's episode, 
with Brian Connolly, Brian drew a connection between Steve McQueen, as played by Damian Lewis in the Tarantino film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Thomas and the role he played in the Shining sequel, Dr. Sleep. Brian made this connection without knowing about Baby the Rain Must Fall, a film which he still hasn't seen. On that episode, you may remember that Brian also divulged his hatred and fear of synchronicity. Listeners will be happy to know Brian was not at all rattled by the McQueen and Thomas synchronicity, so maybe the synchronicity thing isn't so scary after all, Brian. But what does this have to do with the Beach Boys? Well, two of the members of McQueen's band, Henry Thomas and the Rockabillies, were also unofficial Beach Boys, drummer Hal Blaine and bass player Glenn Campbell. It's totally conceivable that Blaine recorded with the Beach Boys the same week he filmed his part in Baby the Rain Must Fall. And 1965 was the year that Glenn Campbell was playing bass for the Beach Boys, while Brian Wilson stayed in the studio beginning work on what would become the album Pet Sounds, featuring the song Caroline No. Since Brian Wilson is such a big influence on Ian, I thought it would be cool to see if maybe Glenn Campbell was from Texas, like Ian. He's not, but Glenn Campbell died on August 8, 2017, which would have been Ian's 49th birthday and the 48th anniversary of the murders of Sharon Tate and her friends by the Manson family, who also have a Beach Boys connection. Death and the Mansons haunt the California dream of the 1960s, just as McQueen haunts Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and as Henry Thomas haunts Dr. Sleep, and by the way, The Haunting of Hill House. I'm not using this ghostly metaphor lightly, since our musical divination this week has the air of a seance. For reasons which may be obvious once you hear the reading, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to handle booking next week's guest, so it might be more than a week before the next one of these comes out. This isn't a hiatus or anything, I just don't know yet, and I don't want to leave you hanging next Sunday. I'm still going to try and hit that deadline, but if I don't, it'll be out soon after. Now, some might say that I'm nuts to be putting so much pressure on myself to deliver such a profound and intricate masterpiece as this for so damned few of you. And if it's madness, I hope it's of the Brian Wilson variety and not the Charlie Manson kind. At least I think I do. Although Manson always seemed pretty excited about his life, and Brian seems pretty sad a lot of the time. I guess I'll just stick to my own particular brand of madness and uh hey that's what you listen for right and if you are the kind of person who listens to this i know you want to support the show and you know the three ways you can do it you can download the app and play with it with your friends and get them involved and excited about this format who knows maybe you'll be uh the next radio eight ball host it could happen of course if you really love this show you're going to want to hear my question, and I withhold my question from the, the non-paying public, just, but you, for a dollar a month, just 
$1 a month, you can join our Patreon campaign and hear my question at the end of each of these episodes. And I really let my hair down when I ask these questions, and I've been locked away for so many months. That's a whole lot of hair. And I know you've thought about it. You've probably had dreams about it, maybe even nightmares. Uh, but, uh, but you know what I'm about to ask. You got to leave some ratings and reviews, good reviews, high ratings for the show, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, particularly, I think the main rating and review place is Apple podcasts. I'm not a iPhone user, so I don't know. Uh, but, uh, if you are an iPhone user, you could really help people find our show by giving us good ratings and reviews. And if you haven't already, Please don't forget to hit subscribe in your podcast app so you'll get our episodes as soon as they are released. And before we get down to digging into some synchronicity with this week's guest, let's do as we always do and kick off the musical divination with the pop oracle song of the day from the day I had my conversation with Ian Moore on August 16th, 2020. That song is Bird Watchers by Jenny Jenkins, recorded on KAOS in Olympia, Washington on January 8th. 2005 Forgot to put the ice cream in the freezer Always thinking with my pants Ice cream soup all over everything Neglecting the plants And the bird watchers going crazy For the Eurasian thrush Lost and probably lonely They can look but they can't touch But I, I touched him And I broke the rocker code Now I can't keep my hands off you, baby So I guess I'd better go Just know there's potential between points Electricity, fertility, and gristle in the joints If I see you playing pool again My heart could still break down But if I sit on the love seat with him I might still go down And if you won't see reason I can't touch the ground And if the rain don't quit Then we could all drown Oh, sorry Bird watchers hasten through the west side Binoculars in hand Are they really incompatible? The ocean and the land When I, I touched him Were angels fear to tread? Now I can't keep my hands off you, baby mm-hmm. Until we're dead, I said There is potential between points Electricity, fertility, and gristle in the joints If I see you playing pool again My heart might still break down But if I sit on the love seat with them I might still go down And if you won't see reason I can't touch the ground And if the rain don't quit Then we could all drown I dress for rain They're getting the seven second delay there Oh wow And if you won't see reason Seems like more than seven seconds delay. And here we are, hanging out on August 17th, 2020, with Ian Moore talking to us from Vashon Island. Welcome back to Radio 8 Ball, Ian Moore. Thank you. It's good to be here. 
Yeah, yeah, it's been a while, and uh, you're here because your song Caroline came up as the answer to Brian Connolly's question on last week's episode, and I really appreciate you making time for us, because I know you're a busy guy, even in this pandemic-y time. Can you tell us how and where you are pandemicking, Ian? I can, yeah, I am uh, pandemicking, which is funny that that's become a verb, <laughs> um, <laughs> and hopefully we'll laugh about it at some point, right? Um, I'm pandemicking right. on Vashon Island, which is a small island off the coast of Seattle. It's actually uh, sounds a little bit more remote than it is. It's actually a very short ferry ride. I've been living up here for quite a while. Um, I was actually on tour uh, down in Texas when everything kind of shut down. And I canceled, a, I canceled the whole tour, and like a lot of people, it's a pretty hectic moment. But since then, um, you know, I'm, I'm living a relatively uh, easy life in, compared to, in comparison to a lot of people. Um, we live in the country. Uh, we live on about three acres. We're surrounded by trees, and um, I'm a beekeeper. We have chickens, you know, we're... My wife and I are going on a lot of walks and um, we're able to engage with people outside. Um, so, and it's been summer and it's been, it's beautiful up here in the Northwest. So that part's been great. And I, I feel really lucky uh, in that regard. I also uh, have started teaching guitar lessons, which I've never done before. I started doing that because I lost an enormous amount of touring income and there was no way to make that up. And I basically made a career shift in like a day which I'm still kind of laughing about. I never really taught before. So I'm doing that and the occasional live stream. I normally am touring the whole time all over the world. So I haven't done, I have not played music with anybody in uh, five months, um, which is the longest time in my life. Um, as far as um, I'm carrying a bit of anxiety about that, about the music industry and about um, its future, um, not just for myself, but because I really believe in, in this church um i think it's a really important component that in western society it's kind of been pushed to the side as a thing to kind of sell products and kind of you know be the background music but um i find it to be a very transformative um force in people's lives and i believe in it and so i'm really worried about our industry about musicians uh music venues just the whole music ecosystem which was kind of already on life support before this hit um, and the other thing that I think uh, probably is part of my pandemicking is uh, kind of sitting here on the outside watching the way we're, uh, we're responding to this. And I'm particularly curious about the big divisions within society right now and how these big social movements have really come forth, some which are really great and inspiring, and also some kind of darker components of society which are pretty disturbing so it's a you know as i'm sure everybody's saying it's an unbelievably um transformative but turbulent time so um i guess i'm grateful to have the space to be able to view it all and forgive me if i'm remembering this wrong it's been many years since we had you on the show but was your father a professor a, a teacher of some kind yeah, my dad was, um, uh, well, well, my dad was a lot of things, but my dad was basically a 
a Buddhist scholar. He studied Sanskrit and um, he was an ethnographer. Um, but he, as a young man, uh, well, we went to India. It was us and the Thurmans, us and Robert Thurman. So we uh, <clears throat> we lived over there with the Thurmans for a couple of years. Um, my dad was a Jew um, culturally, and that's important because um, he ended up with a shop, but his shop was a museum, but it was actually a shop. <laughs> In other words, my, my dad was constantly disappointed in humanity for not understanding the importance of the things that he was selling because a bunch of hippies just wanted to buy Buddhas so they could get laid. And he was trying to explain the history of a certain segment of society. You know, he was a very complex man. I knew there was more there that I wasn't remembering. But as you talk about making the shift from being a performer to sort of overnight being a, becoming a teacher, my father was a professor as well as a teacher as well. So there was a, I guess I, I thought, oh, well, that would be an interesting shift to all of a sudden find myself. Because I've always felt like performing, the reason I'm a performer is because I'm emulating aspects of my father's life as a teacher that I interpret, that that's the way I interpreted that, inter interpreted that as a child was like, oh, being up in front of people and saying stuff. That's, that looks good. But I don't want to say that stuff. I want to do this other stuff. Say what like John Lennon is saying. And, but still that thing. So I guess I'm curious when you made that shift, when you from performer to teacher, how has that been? Well, um, it's been a lot of things. It's been um, a little bit terrifying because, you know, I all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm a really good at touring and being a musician. I've done it very focused since I was 18 years old. It's been my my whole life. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, and that's a very, you know, as much as people like to, you know, minimize what it takes to do that, it's as hard as anything else. I mean, to really understand, it's not just about performing and it's not just being good at an instrument and singing and writing. Yeah. It's about being able to live in the ecosystem, being able to roll with just fundamentally different scenes and societies every day. And then all of a sudden, and you know, and I'm I'm a, a very natural musician. The way I perform, I don't mean natural, but it comes to me easily. I mean that I don't think about my technique, and I don't I haven't analyzed myself. So when I first started teaching, I was like, oh God, I don't even know what I do. I mean, how do I even tell anybody else what I believe in? I've never thought about this before. <laughs> so there was um, this really interesting period of time that I'm obviously still in, but um, it's starting to solidify now. And I'm realizing that I do have stuff to teach. Um, I've been giving these workshops for about seven years, but they're more, um, um, I don't really know the words. I always want to say spiritual, and then that's um, not the word I'm looking for. You know, they were, they were meant to be workshops on songwriting, but they're, you know, it's a group experience so it's transformative because we're all you know having this communion every day and over the period of a weekend everyone's collectively helping each other to to be more open and and through the lens of songwriting so i've i've done that but that's not it's not the same as one-on-one -on -one teaching one-on-one -on -one teaching is like dancing with a different person every hour and everybody's different everybody has a totally different 
spiritual component. Some people are very technical. Some people are, you know, everybody's got different blocks and, you know, you're trying to navigate how to be helpful and not off-putting. And my wife is a great teacher, so I've been asking her a lot. <laughs> and <laughs> I've been learning great. a lot, you know, but it's, it's you know, the whole this whole thing, you know, my whole, my family's financial future was tied to me coming up with this career. So I felt a lot of, you know, existential pressure and a lot of actual fiscal pressure as well, you know. There's, there are all these stratas of success. It's something we talk, that I end up talking about a lot on the show because I talk with a lot of musicians who, wherever they are in their career, there's nobody who's not somehow struggling with, like, the existential aspects of it, like, how do I pay my rent? And then the sort of maybe larger sort of spiritual or just personal philosophical aspects of, of like, have I, you know, what have I achieved? Is this, you know, is this worth it? Am I, a, you know, whatever, wherever you are, there's a sense of, is this success? You know, like that Alan yep. Toussaint song, you know, yep. what is success? Yep. And so it's one of those areas where I guess, Maybe I'll feel this sounds like I might be even rubbing it in. I feel lucky at the level of lack of success that I have that when all of this shut down, it didn't affect my bottom line. Uh, Like I wasn't touring, like there are ways that I wasn't touring or like things that like I'm uh, still making music. And I look at my friends who are sort of one strata up or two stratas up in the pecking order or like in the I guess the financial success side of this business and it's such a more precarious place to be it's something that just came up in it's actually came up in the actor side of my life too the Screen Actors Guild just changed the rules for uh, for eligibility for the um, for their insurance for the health insurance which means that a lot of actors so I don't, I, again, it's the same kind of thing. I don't act enough that I qualify for the insurance anyway, so it didn't affect me. The people who are being affected are the people who you recognize from being on TV and you think are successful, right? Yep. But they are one, one shift like this away from losing their health care if they didn't make $25,000 in this year without, and then they don't get to count uh, residuals. So yeah. all of these people who have been living, like people who are 65 and living off residuals who had great careers are all of a sudden being told, yeah, you know, you're off. So it's one of those, it's, it's a strange feeling to be where I am, feeling all of this compassion for people who I've been envying for the last 15, 20 years. Well, like, you, oh my yeah. God, you have further to fall and I feel really bad. Like these are people who I love. It's not, there's no joy in it. There's a thing of like, I'm just... I have to rearrange my thinking because I've been always just sort of like cheering on and feeling like, oh, I wish I could be there to being like, oh, God, you're just only one story above me in a building. And that means that when the building comes down, you have further to fall than I do. And that means you have commitments like that. Well, you have to. I mean, whatever, 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 you know, the, the thing that I tell people is whatever it is that you do, you know, your success is largely dependent on your commitment to that thing. I mean, there's there's obviously luck and synchronicity, but you know, when you really break things down to a certain point, and you know, I, I do this when I work with people in songwriting, and or even when I'm talking to somebody and they're like at, coming to my shows and, oh, I've been playing guitar forever. I'm so frustrated with the way I play. And then, you know, if I ever talk to him, I can always go, well, I can see 
you know, where you're hitting a wall and basically it typically comes down to commitment. And in order to do anything, you have to be committed. And I, I know my success in music has required me to be singular in my commitment. You know, I, I've even on my journeys to learn different instruments, like, a, you know, I was really into the sitar for a while and, you know, drums and keyboards and this and that. And, you know, every single time uh, you get away from the guitar, you're just, it, you know, when you're really trying to speak with a refined language, you have to be focused. And so for a lot of my peers that I consider to be some of the better musicians in the world, there isn't a plan B. <laughs> you can't have a plan B if you're, if you're, you know, if you're on this route. And, oh, yeah. you know, so I'm just grateful that I'm, you know, and I also this this speaks to a deeper uh, life philosophy about how we live our life. Um, I choose to live a life where I trust the universe. Um, I'm not. Um, that doesn't mean I'm waiting for something to be given to me. It means that I'm not going to live my life with this fear-based thing um, in case something like a pandemic happens. I'm not going to. <laughs> even coming out of this, I my hope that is that I don't. I'm not any more cautious because I don't want to live that way. I'd rather fail out of faith and trust than succeed out of fear and, you know, stinginess. Like, um, I just see so many people just trying to build their castle and make their moats. And, and then as they get older and they lose their virility, they're like, look at all my things and all my stuff. That seems really depressing to me. So I would, I would rather, yeah, you know, be a broke idealist, I guess, if it was going to go one way or the other. That said, during this time, I'm feeling a lot of heat. <laughs> but but yeah. my my fans are my fans and my friends and people. I keep I've got enough students to pay my bills, my live streams. Even though, you know, they I only do them like I mean I make enough that I can I'm surviving. And so I guess, you know, I'm not so much worried. Like, I feel like I'm going to be okay. I feel like I have enough of a toehold. I'm really worried about a lot of my other friends, uh, people that are sidemen, um, people that are, you know, I just talked to a great a friend of mine in New Orleans who's an absolutely phenomenal musician, um, you know, relatively famous. And he's maxed all his credit cards out, you know, and he's not a, a irresponsible guy. He's just a real person living in this time with no income and, you know, even though the unemployment's supposed to be better suited for the gig workers, you know, you know what it's like. It's it's crazy right now. Yeah, no, we uh, we are. No, it, it serves too many interests in our country not to take care of the pe of the people and let of people and let let people suffer through this. And it's uh, then then it would be to to fix to do the things that it would take to really address it the way they are in yeah, other countries and but but uh well there's no but to that that's like full stop we that's the situation yeah. we're in and and yeah and uh well you know what but the point of this show i i, I felt my i felt myself for a second just for a moment there giving into despair and it's one of those things that uh i am I, I'm the way I'm pandemicking. I'm, you know, I'm pandemicking. <laughs> I'm Jewish as well, so this is not even a joke. I'm pandemicking like Anne Frank in an attic, and it's very hot. And I watch people go by my window 
with Trump flags and because I live near the state capitol, Trump flags and automatic weapons and also protesters of a, that I am more in alignment with. But uh, it's it's hot and it's weird. And my and and I do sometimes feel like I'm in like a training montage for my for my soul like if this were rocky like instead of you know lifting a lot of weights and running up and down stairs there's a lot of like of meditating and you know self-care <laughs> to try and be like okay just got it i'm my only roommate i gotta take care. i gotta have a good relationship with me in this headspace that i'm in while i'm yeah. thinking about all of this and um uh, but and I find that one of the best things to do, and I, this is why I love working with synchronicity, is we're going to deal with all this stuff. This, it's going to be there in all of our readings. But somehow, when it comes through music, it's a little bit more. I don't know. It's easier. It's like the spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go 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 down. The medicine well, of reality. Well, I also want to say I'm not. I don't feel despair. Um, I feel concern. And I feel I'm also very motivated to try to make change. And I am trying to make change everywhere that I can. And I also I think that this is a very transformative time. I, I don't think all these um, all this movement uh, around racism would have happened if we weren't in this situation. I think a lot of stuff is coming to light. There's a lot of really important uh, work being done. And yes, there's a huge, ugly pushback against it, as there always is. Um, no, I have. A, I, I just want to be really clear, and not just for the sake of doing a podcast, but me as an individual, yeah. I have an enormous amount of faith in the future, um, and I don't feel. I don't feel despair. I feel more like uh, I want to be aware of what's going on. I want to be aware of where I can help. Um, I run a nonprofit for musicians' healthcare in the Northwest, and I'm part of a symposium across the country that's working with artists and arts and really, really digging in right now. And a lot of these folks are doing really amazing work. Um, so it's been really cool to see how people are pivoting and what people are doing. And and beyond that, the generosity of so many people's spirits in times of need. That's part of what's been really inspiring for me. Excellent. Well, speaking of pivoting, let's pivot this to discussing how your song... related to Brian's question. And I don't know if you were able to hear his preamble, but he is someone, he was talking about, his question about can a song answer a question without words, a, a song be a good answer without word, even if it doesn't have words, comes from, he's been working with EMDR, is that yep. what it is? With yep. basically with the left ear, right ear stuff to help, balance out his uh, what did he say invasive thoughts things things of that nature and so that and so he's been listening to and finding a lot of peace in electronic music and music that doesn't have lyrics so that and that I don't know if that was the preamble to his question so I'm just kind of curious um, what do you think about how Caroline relates to that question well uh, uh, to hit a couple of points so the song itself, is a song about Brian as well, but Brian Wilson. Um, oh, and, really? Yep. And the reason I cho chose the song Caroline is because his favorite song he ever recorded was the song Caroline No, 
Um, and, you know, like anybody who's a composer or a songwriter, you know, I'm a huge Brian Wilson fan. And I'm, I'm a, you know, and I, and I love his music and I love, but I think the thing I love the most about him was his idealism that music could change and save the world. Um, and that he used to call them pocket symphonies. Um, that was the, his self-penned term for what, what they were. Um, and so my song that I wrote was a song to him, basically kind of almost like salving him and saying that I hear and I understand the pain that you feel when people don't understand the beauty that you want to put into the world. And so when I recorded that song, my son Max, who's now 20, was a, a toddler. He was like three and he would come in the studio with me um, because that's where dad worked. And the studio has lots of cool flashing lights and blinking things. And I was trying to figure out a way, because in my song, I wanted to kind of create this visual perspective, almost like 2001, of like Brian Wilson's soul hurtling through the universe, because it was like the music was so much bigger than the words and the, the things that he was trying to do are part of this deeper thing that, that humans have done since the dawn of humanity, which is to jump into the spirit through things that we can't really say in direct words, right? There's a point where the preacher stops preaching and the choir starts to sing. There's the power of music that's a transformative power. So at the end of the song, I'm trying to kind of create this very psychedelic movement. And I'm like, God, how the hell am I going to do that? You know, how do you how do you musically create that? And I kind of had this ethereal, I had um, theremins and and omni chords and echoey guitars. And and so Max comes in here while I'm recording and he doesn't know how microphones work. And so he's talking to me, you know, and he would always do this. And I'd be like, hey, honey, I'm recording. And when you talk, it gets on the tape, which, of course, he didn't understand because he's four or three. And so he's going one, two, three. Four, and he's counting the, the flashing buttons. And so that became, at the end of the song, that became the, the, um, the thing that propels, at least in my mind, his spirit across the cosmos to the end of the song, which, is, uh, which to me is the most powerful part of the whole song is when there aren't even any words. It, fe it felt like that was more in line with, um, with Brian Wilson than, than any of the lyrics that I penned. Wow, that's there's a lot of synchronicity in there, because uh, I was I was ar I was already sort of gassing on the, I know it's not how you pronounce it, but the Brian Ian, uh huh, kind of thing. But that there's Brian and Brian, wow. And I was, I should have known. I guess you did such a good job because you. I mean you, the title's right there you you wear the reference on your sleeve but you did such a good job of writing your own song so it doesn't sound like caroline no at all that i never really thought of it i just thought of him as you know also neil diamond also has a song with caroline and Nate, james taylor has a song you know there's a lot of sure. caroline and caroline yeah. is out there it's a very so. melodious but, name but i was i was riding my bike and listening to caroline no and you know i just love that song but i i something hit me the, an absurdity that 
I'm sure someone must have commented on before, but you know what that song's about, right? Where did your long hair go? Well, I think I do. What, what is it about? Yeah, it's very simple. Like his his wife cut her hair. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe you're gonna. You had some. <laughs> no, there's so no, many. Just, there's so many theories around Brian Wilson's no, music. No, no, no. Yeah. But just like the very. But I just love the idea that this that his wife cuts her hair and this is his response. It sounds like he's singing about the saddest thing that could possibly. Like there's a part of me that I wonder about. Like it, I had to imagine it from her standpoint. Yeah. Like she either has a tremendous sense of humor about it of like, <laughs> like, oh Brian. <laughs> Like, I, I think it's anybody, just, it's just anybody, anybody with Brian Wilson. I mean, that's the beauty of art, and that's the thing. You know, there's yeah. a real, there's a really great quote that I always say at my workshops. I've, it's one of I, I did it. I, I anytime I speak, I've been doing a little bit more speaking in the last few years, um, and it's it's basically a um, a quote that I've read in a Gabriel Garcia Marquez autobiography, and it was Kafka told him this, and he. Uh, Kafka, they translated the Metamorphosis to Spanish, and all of the authors come out because Kafka's like, you know, he's the Elvis of writing at that time, and everybody wants to be a French existentialist, especially all of these Latin American writers who are convinced that who would ever care about our writing, everything's in France, right? So he comes to, uh, I don't know where he was, but all the writers are there. Marquez gets an audience with him. Kafka reads his his writing and he goes and you know Marcus is like what do you think what do you think Kafka says well you know it's fine it sounds like kind of a watered down version of me and and Marquez is like yes yeah exactly and he goes no 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 you're missing the point it's like the 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 moment that you find majesty and beauty in the mundane moments in front of you the moment you can describe the things that you think nobody cares about with 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 these these just three-dimensional uh, concepts and just these chewable things, that's when you become a writer. And I think that's the part of why I, I chose that song, and that's why I love that song so much, is because I know what it was written about. And it sounds like this yeah. opus because Brian Wilson was channeling this much bigger energy than what this... And, and you know, yeah. when you, it doesn't matter where you start. It matters what you put into it. And anything can be this magical thing if you see it from a from another angle. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is, I think that's the greatest joy of songwriting is, you know, sing about what's in front of you and you'll find out that the whole universe is in there. Yep. I, and at, at the same time, to me, there still seems something that is so absurd. Like, I don't know, it just hit me funny that when I was riding my bike and I'm still sort of in the phase of sort of, of at laughing at the absurdity. Well, I guess maybe, you know, you were talking about uh, all of these social changes and the sort of the consciousness that we're being, that we're all being asked to step into. And for me, a big part of that, and I've been realizing I've been doing this a lot with movies that I really like or books that I really like or songs stories that I'm that I'm really caught up in is shifting the context of it so like I, instead of listening to Caroline know from the standpoint of like I'm a songwriter who is just gassing on like I'm imagining myself writing that song or I'm, I'm you know, like I'm relating to it as the songwriter 
imagining relating to it as the woman who just got a haircut who's in the other room listening to Brian Wilson writing the song about her haircut. And oh, yeah. to me, that, that is like, it's either really sad or it's really funny. And in my mind, it's really funny. It's her just being like, oh, Brian. That's one of the it's greatest. It's just a that's, haircut. That's one of the greatest uh, <laughs> things, one of the greatest tools in a songwriter's uh, um, toolbox is perspective shift. And one of the things that I find when I'm working with songwriters that are feeling frustrated with where they're at is is they they tend to be really either um, uh, immovable in their narrative, like they will not change. They're just like, no, it happens like this. <laughs> and it's like, and then they can't figure out why they're stuck. It's, I mean, it's amazing to change. The, the line I always love is, um, is Jeff Tweedy. It's in a Wilco song on Summer Teeth. It says, the ashtray says, you've been up all night. And I'm like, that is the best way to say, man, what the hell you stayed up all night, you know? And most people mm-hmm. would write that, you know, in a very, very, um, you know, uh, second person narrative. But to to take an inanimate object or to shift, you know, a lot of my best songs have been written when I write from the perspective of a woman or the perspective of somebody from a completely different cultural background than mine because all of a sudden all of the thoughts are kind of new things even though they're seen through my eyes. And I consider that to be an unbelievably important empathetic perspective and that's one of the main things I defend in art. And it's the one thing I refuse to change or compromise. Which is, sorry, I, which is the part you won't compromise? I will ne- I will always, um, I will never be told what voice I can sing in. I will never be like, right. um, <clears throat> um, I'll give you an example. Because this happened, this is a real world thing. And this could illustrate it better than me trying to philosophically speak about it. I have a song on Luminaria as well called Abilene that's one of my favorite songs I've written. Um, At the time, I was obsessed with the song Strange Fruit because that song is culturally a really interesting song. Billie Holiday most famously performed it. Uh, A few other people performed it, but it was a song about the lynching of a black man. And since most of the jazz singers of the time were underwritten by the mafia, um, which was... uh, you know, extremely racist um, towards, uh, well, everybody, but um, black singers in particular, uh, they they told Billy she couldn't sing the song, right? And are they, you know, bad things are going to happen. So she yeah. stopped performing it. Um, I wrote that song um, from the perspective, I was right after Matthew Shepard was killed and that, you know, horrific homophobic killing and was strung out on this fence post in rural Wyoming. And I wrote this song from the perspective of a gay man um, who was in love with another man. um, And the other man was still in the closet. And basically the song's gist was, you are from where you are. And no matter how much you might hate it, and you might go far away from that, you know, you still are from where you are. So in other words, if you grow up in Alabama, you might move to San Francisco but you still are from Alabama and being able to embrace even the ugly parts of where you come from is a really important part of, I think, growing. So it was a really important narrative to me. And this this kid comes up to me at one of my shows and he says, what right do you have to sing the narrative of a black woman or a gay man? 
And it was a really interesting question. Um, I thought it was the way he asked it was pretty, I didn't like the presentation, but I was interested in thinking about it. And I thought about it for a really long time. I just, I don't even remember what I told him. But I realized that it's probably the very most important thing about art is that it, it doesn't have those boundaries. And, and, and when we, if, if art does have those boundaries, then it's not art. I mean, as soon as we start scripting in the boundaries to that degree, our ability to create change and to create just art on a deeper level is hobbled. In that area, my attitude is, yes, it is the artist's, I don't say either right or responsibility. If you're inspired to go there as an artist, then you should. And a world in which that's not allowed or where you're that's hampered because of prejudice is a world where prejudice exists that needs to be taken, you know, addressed. And at the same time, my study of history is just that if you're an artist and you're the kind of artist who says who's who's willing to step out of that box of what's acceptable in that moment that you're all that's just this the nature of being an artist is that you're always going to be pressing pressing up against prejudices and sometimes you're going to you know we're going to be pressing up against prejudices and then turn out we were wrong like i i think about the whole like the whole minstrel situation whether you talk about blackface or whether you just talk about the rolling stones um and I like the Rolling Stones I because I associate with them more than I do with with Al Jolson. But still, it's this idea of like what's celebrating and what is embodying and what's what's in brotherhood with and what is taking from. And because that's something that is de- is not determined. So it's, it's hard to determine it in the moment, even if like we all agree. And it's so hard to determine it from person to person. I've. I've had many situations. I had someone who came on to uh, a good friend who came on the stage at Radio 8 Ball once. And she basically said, I kind of like, I think you're generally benign, but this is a space that I would never enter because the way you look and like, there's just a bunch of cis white hetero guys and some women here. And this just seems like a space that I would never feel safe, but I feel safe with you because I know you. And I was like, this is a great compliment. It really is a great compliment, but also it's a sign of like, on some level, for some people, if she didn't know me, if I, and that's, how, that's her name, know me. If she didn't know me, just like there was no amount of quieting who I am that would make her feel okay with me saying anything, let alone something that might be stepping into her territory. So I totally get that thing of people coming up to someone who looks like me or looks like you with an attitude. I also don't think we gen- we generally deserve it, but we have, you know, but that's kind of the nature of living in a prejudiced society. And now we're getting a little bit of a taste of it. But I, I'm right with you as a songwriter. When I'm in my room writing, I'm going to write from whatever point of view the muse, my muse is directing me towards uh, and then there's a question about sharing it, but well, I, well, I generally well, I, think if it's good. Let me to share let me it. make sure to clarify. I I have no problem with anybody um, saying it. I'm I'm actually making a statement that art has to have, and I just actually disagree with you about yeah. the Rolling Stones. By the way, um, I, I love a, them. No, no, no. I'm not saying but, well, I love them as well, but I'm not. It's not to defend them because I love them or anything. The uh, I was a musicology major, and my what I wanted to do before I started becoming a musician was to write songs 
about racism in the South and cultural appropriation because I was I didn't listen to any any rock and roll at all. Like I grew up in a very different society. Um, and I've still, uh, the thing about the Rolling Stones and the thing, I mean, the, the thing about music, I've got a dobro right in front of me. I'm teaching somebody how to play the dobro. The dobro claim came to black musicians through um, Hawaiian music and a lot of the early tunings and stuff that, um, uh, and through Polynesian music, musicians that were first actually uh, seen by country musicians. And, and when you study, especially music in the South and culture in the South, yes, there's an enormous amount of racism and there's all kinds of shit going on that's very, very messy and, and not right. But the music um, and, the, and many of the musicians didn't see like that. And that's why the music's so good. And that's why there's so much um, cross-pollinization. And I think um, for me, like a band like the Rolling Stones, I find them, um, I mean, look, Mick Jagger ripped off from everybody equally, right? I mean, he, he wanted to be, he wanted to be Tina Turner and he wanted to be Hank Williams and he wanted to be name a person. Um, and yes, a lot of that music was black music, but they also were one of the bands that unlike Led Zeppelin and some of the other bands went way, way out of their way to acknowledge and to bring and to ignite people's careers of artists that they were borrowing from, um, they didn't sound anything like once they became truly became the Rolling Stones, because I think they understood their debt. And I, I actually find the the Rolling Stones, as irreverent in many ways as they were, had a very very deep respect, and probably paid a lot of that stuff forward more than almost any other band in history. You know, so I mean. I just wanted, like, so I be clear. I'm not, I don't mean minstrelsy in a pejorative. Like, there's, I uh, think I that there's, my point is just that they, sort of like what you're saying. I actually agree with what you're saying in terms of that, of all of the, you know, we've had, I had, we had an awesome synchronicity once where we had Radon Chong on the show and she asked a question. And out of all of these uh, songs, we, she got the, song, the Keith Richards song uh, Slave uh, from Tattoo You. And, she, and I, th- I thought it was going to be a super intense moment. And she was just like, no, that's so perfect because Keith is so tapped into black culture. And it was just amazing. So it's all, I, I, all of what you're saying is true. And at the same time, if there's one person out there who said, who's like, yeah, but they're making them making millions and millions off of this culture that you can't like. It's almost like they couldn't give back enough. And for that person, I think it's totally fine for that person to have that attitude. And yeah. I feel like probably to the extent that the Stones are as cool as we think they are, they would also be like, yeah, if you hate us because we did this, we kind of agree with you. You know? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the the, the, thing, the thing is, is that there's the, there are. I mean, you know, we live in this. We have a 20-year-old living in our house, and we're having these discussions. You know, my 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 nonprofit. Um, I'm a, a white male hetero leader of an all-female board, um, looking for racial diversity because Seattle's a very very white city. Um, our members have a higher diversity than the people around us. We're spending all of our board mem- our board meetings 
working on on race equity and I'm spending most of my time just trying to shut up and stay out of the way. I, I I'm totally in line trying to learn as much as I can. With the comment that I was making about about the narrative, is I I am fine. As a matter of fact, I want anybody to I would want anybody to tell me it's an empathetic soul if they were affected in a negative way. I, my my thing is not so much about that. I would never want anybody to feel in any way hurt or singled out, especially a person that felt like they didn't have a voice from anything of mine. Yeah. What I'm saying though is there's a very important thing within art that has to be protected, that people, um, one of my concerns with a lot of the movement forward that I think is very important is art is about pure heart and pure heart may in retrospect come back as being a little bit clumsy mm -hmm. because there's an evolution of thought with all of these things. What we consider, we are just having dinner and my, my father-in-law who's 71 came in and he started talking about racism and he was talking about when he was a kid, like every, what, what was considered normal back then is horrific to us now. Yeah. And it's very possible that whatever we're at now may be considered like, how did you guys even live in a world like that? Yeah. Because the world is constantly moving and thank God evolving for the most part to this place. Like the conversations we're having, the things my kids don't even blink when they're in a, a classroom with, you know, four, four other kids who have two moms or two dads or people whose gender, however they define their gender, nobody cares in our community. And yes, we are outliers, but I wouldn't be surprised if that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that's the whole country. So this is a, it's a beautiful arc with a lot of, of work to be done that we're on. I just sometimes, not worry, I don't worry, that's not the right word. I am very, I feel like art and that thing needs to be brave and if you spend your whole life walking on eggshells worried that you're going to offend somebody when you're making art you're probably not going to make a whole lot of great art yeah I, well i think and i think that's important is what you're talking about and i i really didn't mean to sidetrack it i think it's just this is more of just the kind of conversation we have is is that what you're talking about and i think it's important is speaking to artists just because, and this is, I guess, if I was teaching a class, this is what I would say. When you're writing, you should not censor yourself at all. When you're thinking about what you want to put out, the impulse to share your demos is so strong. Don't do it. Don't do it, people. <laughs> Save it. You're going to regret it because you know it sounds really good tonight. But when you really get it to where, like, I think being conscious of separating these two minds, of the mind that does it which is total pure heart and is just about what is true in the moment and then right. how i put it out like what colors am i going to put how am i going to associate with this song and the the artwork that comes out you know should yeah. i release it on the full moon should i release it is this a fall song or is this a winter song you know and that is a different kind of thinking and it also might be like you know what right now is not the time to like the day after George Floyd's murder is probably not the day to re release the song Happy, Happy Day, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, but I mean, it's really. But at the same time, we're also speaking as older, older people, too. And part of the beauty of uh, community is the disparity of experiences and and viewpoints. And um, what is great about youth is that young people are too dumb to know any better to not make the mistakes they make. So they tend to be 
they tend to do all those things that we know better not to do. And for the most part, we're better off doing what we've done. But in the, at the same time, we have lost some things through the very nature of just being so bullheaded that they're going to send that demo out. And they're so bullheaded that they're going to say that thing that's inappropriate that maybe needed to be said. I mean, we, that's the beauty of the fabric of society is that in a healthy society, all of these voices have the proper weighting and they, they, they make for a, a, a society that works better. You know, I, th I think the biggest thing right now is that um, in Western society, there is uh, very, very little um, trust in anybody being knowledgeable about anything. And in particular, um, uh, the trust of wisdom over a lifetime. You know, it's a, it's, it's an interesting, I'm finding I'm 52 now. I just had my birthday a few days ago, as you know, and, uh, you and me both. Yep. Yep. And, and, um, I'm, it's a really interesting time to be getting older because, you know, I realized that I could make the most groundbreaking, amazing world changing record tomorrow. And it probably wouldn't change anything. And I don't say that like I'm defeated. That That's fine. I actually kind of, there's a part of me that kind of likes being free of the expectations where I can just, yeah. nobody's really cares that much. But it is an interesting thing to think about because what do you have to say at 20? That, you know, like think like, especially when you start thinking about the bigger concepts, what do you really have to say at 20? You have to say all the things you just said. You're going to send out that demo. You're going to make, you're going to think that your words that you just blurted out when you, did MDMA for the first time or whatever are life changing and <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, those things are going to be very, very, you know, there'll be a few things that are home runs, but most of them are going to be really bad strikeouts, you know? Well, you know, the, you know, the motto for the show is questions answered, answers questioned. And this is, mm -hmm. I guess, probably why I keep sort of batting the ball back at you because it's sort of like, there's this, there's the right answer, which is right most of the time. And then there's the wrong answer, which is right some of the time, right? Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> and it's like something I heard someone say is like, most people who achieve success in show business, they did it by doing something you should never do. And if you tried to repeat that, it would be a horrible thing to do. You know, just don't go up and talk to that person in that restaurant. But in hap it happened that this person went up and talked to a person in a restaurant, and that's why they're on this TV show. You know, everyone has these stories yep. that it's like, and I think... It's why I keep coming back to synchronicity. It's knowing the feeling of your moment. Like sometimes it's the moment to do and say the wrong thing because that's really what the moment calls for. And sometimes it means, you know, and that's when the wrong thing is the right thing. But you, it's, and I think that's what you're talking about is wisdom. And there is a certain wisdom of youth that is like, you can fall down, you can have, you can make wonderful mistakes that may not serve you, but serve other people, you know, serve, or still make great art. Um, yeah. But oh, yeah. I, I think that's what, like, there's just like this, uh, this game. And I, I, I'm, it's my job to keep us on the rails. So I'm going to keep going to the next, uh, the next synchronicity here, which is uh, Jenny Lewis's song, Birdwatchers, as the song of the day for this day, August 17th, 2020. And uh, Jenny is a, a deeply intuitive artist with you probably know people like this very artistically ambitious like she's made films and she's had multiple bands and yet there is nothing ambitious in the sense of what we think of ambition 
about her. She seems just very, like, always pretty casual and almost you can even hear it in her playing and the like she's not someone who's stressing out about being like the perfect uh, you know being the Andre Segovia of the of the ukulele but uh yeah but it's a but she's a really I think she's such a great songwriter really just a, a, a really brilliant lyricist and I love that song and I'm curious if you have any particular synchronicities with that song on this day well, I do because um, I right before I came out to do this, I was uh, walking. I uh, just had dinner. I'd been in lessons all day, and as I was walking out, we we have this is this time of the year. Um, our woods are filled with owls, and um, there was a barred owl that was sitting on this tree right as I turned. Um, which is one of my favorite owls. It has the craziest call. I don't know if you've ever heard one. It kind of sounds like a, a hurt dog. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> and when you don't know what they are, that's actually really creepy because they, they sound like some weird monster. Um, and he was just sitting there, and they're, um, right when I walked in, I mean, I had a 20-second a look off in the... You know, I was just kind of looking in the, the twilight, and he was just sitting right at the tree, and his, his head did that classic owl turn and he looked at me and with the kind of weird kind of yellow eyes and the this bright and he was pretty close yeah right before i walked in wow that's a that's a wild synchronicity i just i recorded a podcast with a guy named mike cleland who has a a podcast on whitley streber's network and he was talking all about owl synchronicities so he's a collector of stories of owl synchronicities so that's just that struck me well they're a they're a i'm a big fan of um mexican folk tales and there's a great one one of my favorite stories of all time it's a children's book it's called bless me ultima and it's about this owl her well her grandfather's passed away and he comes to visit her at night in the form of an owl because the owls are just a very complex character with humans a lot of times the owl means this foreboding for a lot of people um but in certain cultures um the owl is a a creature that brings comfort and i've always found the owls i I love them Um, i go through for runs in the woods by my house and around this time of the year i don't know if they're more active during the day or they're trying to get more food before winter but they're just all over the place right now and they're just such an i mean the thing about that's funny about birds is that birds are all about which birds you don't see as often right so if like before i moved up to this area i was like if you saw a bald eagle it was like oh my god that's a bald eagle right mm-hmm. and now living on bashan we see bald eagles every single day i still think it's cool they're pretty cool looking birds but i don't have that same feeling that i had you know, when you see a bird that you've never seen, like if you saw a penguin for the first time or some crazy, you know, peregrine falcon. Um, and the owls, even though I've seen a lot of them, they never sees the mystery. Like there's just something about that bird that seems kind of otherworldly to me. And maybe because it's always in that, that twilight between the day and the night. But they seem very magical to me. Are you someone who has a relationship to the sort of the totemic aspect of animals and animal spirits? 
Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I well, um, it's not so formalized the way like you know like the ayahuasca crew is necessarily, but even when I was a kid, I remember. I think I thought I was a cat for a few years, and um, I've always had this really, Ian, really. You're still a cat. Come on. Oh, I am. <laughs> wow. No, I remember like I used to run along fence posts and try to jump off. Like I'd follow, I'd follow the animals. I, there's, there's, the, there's some, the animal spirits to me. I mean, even on a very real level, they bring out their, they define for us the human spirits. They're, they're just, it's so clear who we are when you look at the animals. You can see who people are, and you can see, um, you know, you can see what they're, they're kind of who they're what they're made of really if you're looking at them from the animals that they're based on you know i mean um yeah well speaking of of cats um i there's a question i needed to ask because it, it's come up a couple times now matthew southworth's songs have come up as the song of the day on two different episodes one of these days, he's going to end up having to come back as a guest. His song will get chosen as the answer to somebody's question. But when I look at his Wikipedia page, it says that he played on Luminaria. Is that, first of all, is that true? Will you corroborate that? That is true. Yes, Ma- Matthew is a friend of mine. What did he do? I'm just so curious because when I looked at somewhere out there, there's a list of musicians who played on it and he's not listed in that particular list somewhere out there. So I, I don't know. What, what did I you do on the record? Do you know? I don't even remember anymore. That was a lot of <laughs> 2004, I think. Yeah, that's what you had just come um, out with when you were your season of... I got to say, yeah. there was a season. There are, a couple, there are different people. Ricky Lee Jones was like this once. Uh, Jenny Jenkins has been like this. Who just... There are seasons when the pop oracle, this format just latches onto and just loves them and then they happen to be available and around at that time and then they're on the show a bunch and that was definitely the case with you like 2004 5 6 around that time it feels like and and it, yeah i remember that was when luminaria was fresh i should have asked you then yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i don't i don't i don't remember now although i did just run into matthew um i played a friend of mine put out a collection of haikus and uh, I played at the book release at the bookstore in Georgetown, and Matthew came out, and I hadn't seen him for quite a while. We've, we're 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 those kind of friends where we really really like each other, and we're constantly, you know, like plotting this how we you know that thing. And then he's so busy in his world, and I'm so busy in my world, and all of a sudden you wake up, and two two more years have gone by, you know. And um, but yeah, no, Matthew's a good friend of mine, and. Um, I don't know what he played on Luminaria. <laughs> okay. Well, then I did. And I have one other totally off the wall, out there kind of question. Uh, on the last two episodes, we've had these odd Steve McQueen synchronicities. Do you have any relationship to, like, archetypally to Steve McQueen? <laughs> like, and just in, like, that he means something to you or doesn't mean anything to you? Well, I mean, he means every something to everybody in my generation i mean i i don't know that it's archetypal but i mean i grew up watching steve mcqueen movies with my father and um, that was one of my probably strongest memories and just kind of just that you know kind of just trying to understand what it was to be a man and steve mcqueen was like the manliest 
of all the men um, in movies back then. And I just remember like, he probably created, um, you know, a definition of what a certain type of man was for me. Did you ever see the movie where he played a musician? It's called Baby the Rain Must Fall. I did. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. I don't. Rem- I don't. I, I don't know how much I remember of it though. I was not sure how I was going to address the synchronicity, but since you actually know that film, and I don't know anyone else who knows that film, I'm sure there are plenty of that generation. But I don't know. When I asked you that, I was 99% sure you were going to be like, no. I mean, I hadn't seen or wasn't even aware of that film until a couple, like last week, and I found it, and I've been on this Steve McQueen jag, so I watched it. Oh, uh, that's awesome. But on the last episode, Brian was talking uh-huh. about Steve McQueen and about Damian Lewis doing a Steve McQueen impression in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And, oh, yeah. Which we both liked. And he well, was saying... so weird. He was saying how... He's like, you know, but sometimes you don't have to look like someone to be really good at playing them. And he's like, like Henry Thomas in the film uh, Dr. Sleep, like he's not doing a Jack Nicholson, but he's playing that character. And yeah, we went yeah. on to talking about it. And then later on that night or later on that week, I was watching it. And in the movie, Baby, the Rain Must Fall, you know what the name of Steve McQueen's character is? No. Henry Thomas. Oh my God! Yeah, and you know, wait. I've got to tell you this too because my uh, old bass player Matt just texted me out of the blue, like uh, two hours ago, just a bunch of random stuff about trying to survive. He's a musician. He's in San Francisco, and he literally uh, he says, "Watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood could be my favorite film ever." <laughs> that was his text. You know, it's funny because when I was thinking of asking you that, I was thinking. You know, you're kind. I could see that Steve McQueen character in Baby the Rain. You're a much, you're a much nicer, well, well, more well balanced guy. But as a young guy, I imagine like you as a young guy running around Texas, playing music. I don't know. There's, I could see you in that in that character in that. You know, not, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to rewatch it now because, uh, which will be good because I, I feel like I've seen every movie ever made and I'm starting to like run. I. I actually had, I'm, I'm to the point now, it's pretty funny, I've always, I've always watched a ton of movies um, that works well with the lifestyle I lead, and plus, I actually write, I, I, I like writing kind of like the way I imagine a director would direct, Yeah. because when I, I so I, I, I love movies, but I've hit this thing where I'm like, I feel like I've seen everything, and so I've been watching, <laughs> I've been watching, um, um, uh, a bunch of like super trippy documentaries, just, um, oh, I'm having a total brain. Um, oh, Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. I knew I you were going to, yeah. Okay. I was watching, I was watching his documentary on volcanoes. Fucking amazing. Have you seen that? I forget no. what it's called. I just watched it two nights ago because I'm like, I've literally almost run out of, um, you know, narrative, uh, movies that I'm interested in watching. I've already gone back and watched almost I feel like every old movie again, right? Yeah. And uh, I watched this Werner movie, and it's co- it's about volcanoes until the middle of it, and then it's not for about half of it, and it's about volcanoes again. <laughs> well, you know what? This is you might be the audience for our podcast. Our podcast is called "The World Is Wrong," 
And it's an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films that got bad reviews or bad releases or like that basically are much better than their either critical acclaim or awareness from audiences. So Oh cool. That yeah. sounds yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Now having having gone into all that, I'm I'm so happy that we were able to share that Baby the Rain Must Fall synchronicity and when you see it uh, I, I, you know, send me like, any thoughts you have about it because I, you're, I, that's a film yeah, I'm well. I, I don't know anyone else who's who's seen it. I'd love to talk with uh, talk about it with you. Uh, but let's uh, let's get to your question for the Pop Oracle. Do you have the Radio Eight Ball app? Uh, One sec, let me uh, pull it up. There it is. So, Ian, what is your question for the Pop Oracle? Okay, in a society that is so divided. How do we find a path forward together? What is it? Well, it's spinning right now. Oh. The answer is Lovesick Car by Paul Plagans. Paul Plagans, wow. Well, you might be a little better than the rest. I wouldn't know, I'd only second guess And you might give me something I could really use Like an asterisk or two-tone rubber shoes Oh, can we take a freeway to the stars? I think we'll get there in this beat-up lovesick car And if I bought you all the things you didn't like Would you lock them up or tie them to a kite? Once upon a time I never had a doubt That the truth tellers would surely be found out Oh, can we take that freeway to the stars? I think we'll get there in this beat-up lovesick car And if they took down all the power lines one night Would the animals all wake up in a fright? I just can't stand to see your eyes in such a spin Crying the earth will open up and suck us in Oh, can we take that freeway to the stars? We'll try and get there in this beat-up lovesick car Can we take that freeway to the stars? We'll try and get there in this beat-up lovesick car Well, I've got a monogrammed edition for the yacht It's twice as big and twice as loud as what you got So don't you worry about the mess that mama made It's kind of sticky, but it's only lemonade Oh, can we take that freeway to the stars? I think we'll get there in this beat-up lovesick car 
And that was Paul Plagans performing Love Sick Car live on Radio 8 Ball on KAOS in Olympia on February 1st, 2006. And that was the answer to Ian Moore's question. In a society that is so divided, how can we find a path forward together? Um, and... I'm tempted to let you in on the context around that song for me, uh, but rather than muddy the waters, I'd love to get your your reflection first on how you think that song answers your question. Well, I mean, I think um, basically to me, the chorus of the song is um, it's a little bit of a uh, a, a dream. It's, it's, it's a dream, like, you know, how are we going to get to the stars, you know? we're going to do it in this, you know, basically in this hunk of junk, it's almost like reminds me of like the uh, Han Solo in Star Wars, you know, mm-hmm. they're flying through the universe in this, this hunk of junk that somehow or another seems to outrun all the other uh, ships and get them to where they need to be. And um, a lot of times it comes from things that you don't expect. You know, um, I think this is a time where everybody's trying to align themselves with the things they believe in. And I think that's the the statement that, you know, you you believe in the things that are there with you and you embolden them with power and um, um, allow them to be the best version of themselves. That's what I get from that song. Yeah. Uh, So I've been dreading, looking forward to and dreading this moment because I can't ask Paul to be on the show because he died a couple few years ago in Austin, oh. by the way. So there's a synchronicity there. Oh, wow. He was a, he was a great friend, a great songwriter. You might have known him just uh, by he, he had a band that was signed in the late '80s, early '90s called Greta. Very oh yeah, very different musically than you, but they were really interesting. He was sort of famous for performing in a dress at a time when there was a lot of homophobia going on. And it was, you know, he was just a really great guy with an incredible sense of humor, great, joyful person, and also had his own demons and difficulties, which actually he had uh, conquered a lot of those at the end. But I think this is speaking to like uh, some of the stuff we're finding out about COVID is that the, the thing, the things our body has to go through at one season can come back and get us at a different season. Uh, Anyway, uh, I don't want to make this depressing because that is such a joyful song. And when I, whenever his songs come up in this, I feel so like it hurts, but I feel so happy to have that, to have captured that with him on these tracks. And it's not just the, the songs, but listening to him talk about them and having two, basically two hours of hanging out with my friend uh, the two sessions he did with us is so great that like, uh, yeah, people get, I mean, death is intense and it's weird, but I think in this case, it's more about the appreciation of being able to hear someone sing with such joy and just looseness and uh, about something like he's a, he was a, he's a pretty serious guy and mostly he's saying pretty dark stuff. But at the time when he was on the show, he was, he was writing, he was writing more like the kind of songs that maybe you or I might uh, like. He's more rootsy, getting in more into his in his his inner Beatle, and 
Yeah. So there's something about that as the answer to the question that, well, uh, there's one other piece of this that he and I, he's one of those friends who I could, we always, we loved each other, but we always argued. We always found something to argue about. Usually it was about music and usually it was friendly. Sometimes we'd get so passionate about an argument about like an argument about Prince or something that we wouldn't talk for months. And then we'd have to have a big reckoning of like, like that's how it was like, that's how much we love music and that's how much we loved each other. Uh, but if he were here and if he was like in, I would say, but the, the car is a, a metaphor for toxicity. This beat up lovesick car you know, we got to get out of these cars, <laughs> you know, like it's like, like uh, in a society that is so divided, how can we find a path forward together? If we're still driving in these cars, in these beat up, lovesick yeah. cars, we're not going to get there. You know, we got to get out of our cars like it's an R.E.M. video and, <laughs> and a reference that you and Paul and I will all, will all get. And and you know march forward into this future and maybe there's something there like it's he might come back with it's so hard when your friend's not here to have hold up his end of the argument but he might come back with well that's what i was saying man <laughs> like yeah, yeah right <laughs> like this car is gonna die we're gonna go as far as we can on this car in this car and then we get out and we keep going because we're running on love and uh and so maybe that's hopeful maybe it's not again uh i think that's hopeful it's the i think it's hopeful i think it's funny that we both i mean you know i didn't i didn't know him but i mean just that that and that's the beauty of music right there is that there can be um i heard it completely one way as this kind of like almost like this kind of cute bernie what is that what is the music movie reference herbie the love bug thinking of yeah i was thinking of herbie the love bug exactly like i was thinking of it like this kind of like like he was almost being kind of flippant about that part of it and that these issues are so big yeah. and here's the things that we have and we really don't have a whole lot to, you know, and then, and, and I mean, that's, that's the thing, like, you know, that, that that's why it's so wonderful to allow the space in your lyric writing to not define everything and why some songwriters are trying to kind of pin down this perfect metaphor you know, which can be beautiful. Like I, I love Jimmy Webb's one of my favorite songwriters, but I really love people that, that leave the space for uh, the listener to have their own experience with the song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> were you about, I thought you were about to, to diss the cake in the rain. Oh no, I, no. I'm, I would, that, I mean, he's one of my favorite songwriters. I just, yeah. I just, I mean, he's a very, lyrical direct songwriter that takes pride in his metaphors and you know sometimes you know people are are worried that this stuff is going to be too existential but you know i think it's the poetry isn't what you make of it the poetry isn't what you make of it the poetry is in Uh, what you make of it the poetry is yeah it's meant it's meant to be it's meant to be a relationship with the listener it's not meant to tell you what to think Although that would be a great line to start a poem with. Yeah. The poetry isn't what you make of it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that would be a great line to start a poem with. Uh, Ian, we're going to f- shuffle off to the backstage where I'm going to ask my question. And the, the Patreon subscribers who give a dollar a month, it's nothing. Uh, but it's just a little bit of a way to like to put a little bit of a barrier to make the backstage a little bit special. Uh, so we're going to have you come back there. But before you, we do, is there anything 
you'd like well can people can people get lessons from you are you all booked up for your lessons um uh yeah people yeah i mean i have a couple a couple of slots yeah people can get lessons through me um I, I'm trying to think of the best way. Probably through my email. I don't know how you share things. Well, just if I get, you have a contact form through your ianmore.com, right? Yes. Yeah. You could do it through my the contact form if they're interested. And uh, I'm also doing yeah my like I mean right now all my shows are on hold. So uh, the other thing I'm probably doing we're trying to do is my yearly workshop in November. We're actually going to try to do that. We haven't quite figured out how we're going to physically pull that off, but um, we really want to pull it off. We feel like this year might be the most important year to try to do that. Although that one is, uh, I don't know how it's working this year. It's normally it's sold out every year, but I think um, I have, I have to, I don't even know about that, but I have a, a page on my, through my website. Um, that's in more workshops. Um, yeah. And everything else, uh, I'll be touring again at some point <laughs> and I'll be out doing that until then. I'll just be hanging out, practicing my guitar and trying to write some songs. Thank you for giving your attention and intention to this episode of Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appeting, with our guest Ian Moore. Please remember to subscribe to Radio 8 Ball in your podcast app, and if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. If you tell your synchronicity story, I'll read it on the show. Of course, we encourage you to download the Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store, and finally, I do hope you'll join our Patreon campaign and follow us backstage for my pop oracle reading, where I asked, am I living up to that line? Because who cares about what's going to happen in the future? Am I living up to that line? Right now, the Patreon link is in the show notes. We're going to go out with a clip from Baby the Rain Must Fall, featuring Lee Remick, Kimberly Block, Steve McQueen, and the singing voice of Billy Strange, who also played guitar and sang backup vocals on Sloop John B., which appeared on the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds album. And with that, I'm out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle. This is a song I wrote for you and your mama. And this is a song that's going to make me famous. And someday, after it's recorded, and I'm rich, and maybe I'll be a big movie star like Elvis Presley, you, me, and your mama, we're going to live in Hollywood. And we're going to go to all the opening of my pictures in a big white Cadillac car. We're not going to have a care in this world. Just writing songs, singing songs, and making moving pictures. Oh, my love is my light shining. 
so bright Shine for me Little light Little light Shine for me My love knows a place That I never have seen She'll show me the way to a valley that's green My love walks beside me A shining so bright I need her to guide me My love is my light Mama's crying Oh, hush, Margaret Rosa. I'm happy. I'm just, just crying because I'm so happy. Are you so happy? Oh, well, because uh, everybody's been so good to us. And your daddy's home. Oh, my love. My light shining so bright, shine for me, little light, little light, shine for me. It's the radio.